Inverse Genius Episode 48, Fortnightly Beer and Pizza. In this episode, Eric brings on both Donald Dennis and the podfather himself, Stephen Bonacore, to talk about, well, beer and pizza, and books, and TV. Hey, did you know you can go over to podpledge.com and search for Inverse Genius and you'll see our Podpledge page. All that money goes to help support the ongoing podcasting costs, and we truly appreciate it. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to another fun episode of Inverse Genius Fortnightly, the tell and tell show for geeks. I'm Eric Dewey. You can find me at ericdewey.com. And with me is my fellow geek partner, Mr. Donald Dennis himself. Woohoo! Yeah, uh, you know, geeking is much more entertaining when you do it with someone else. Uh, so, yes, I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me all over the wilds of the Internet as well, Sphio. I'm excited to find out what I'm going to talk about tonight. <laughs> uh, but that's not important. Instead, what's really important is that somebody who we've threatened to drag onto this show multiple times to his very email, uh, Mr. Stephen Bonacore. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. How are you? But, you know, you must use the proper title when you address me. Had a Bonacore. <laughs> the father of gaming, but the pod father. Anyway, it's great mm-hmm. to be here again, guys. It feels like we just spoke and we did about five weeks ago, maybe something like that yep. on, the, on the main podcast on, on board games. And we had a great time uh, talking there. So it's great to be back again with you in such short order. Steven, I'm trying to turn this into the main podcast uh, <laughs> because I've talked about all the games already and you're not in the, you know, publishing anymore. So what more good will there be to talk about in games? Now it's all just about my other geekly activities. That's right. There's nothing left to talk about in games since Bonacore has left the industry. So <laughs> let's talk about other fun, geeky stuff. And mm. and that's the fun thing about us as geeks. I mean, like we get so passionate about things, right? About no matter what it is, right? And obviously, yep. normally we're talking about games and board games and enjoying games with people and podcasts and conventions. And we get crazy about this. But of course, we're very broad people. And we have all these other interests. So it's going to be interesting for you to tell me what some of yours are. <laughs> and I will tell you about at least one of mine. Nice. Yeah, it's, you show me good. yours, I'll show you mine. Ooh, oh, oh, sorry. Racy. Um, but no, that's a great point because I think just in general, we like learning new things, right? Experiencing new things, learning new things. And so I think it's fun. So actually, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off just because this is something that is fun for me. So I stumbled across the fact that these things existed probably about six months ago. And I was like, oh, this is something that I I think I want. And so I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, wouldn't this be fun? She's like, yeah. So we have purchased a gas-powered pizza oven that goes outside. Uh, It's nice. It's an Unicoda 12, 12 meaning it's 12 inches wide. And uh, it's basically this small, it looks real sci-fi, like a small thing. You hook it up to a propane burner. And it's got a pizza stone in there, and it fires up, and it hits to about 900 degrees Fahrenheit. Which is what you need to make a really good pizza. We all know that, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so then, yeah, you, you, you make your dough, and they have, they have an app to help you kind of calculate exactly how much moisture and whatnot you want to put in your dough. And so, yeah, you, you make the dough, and then you make the pizzas, and then you put them in the oven, and then in a minute minute and a half later they're done <laughs> it's it's crazy um and 
I learned a lots of different techniques. Like for instance, there are these things called turning peels. Of course, you don't know what a regular mm. pizza peel is, those big paddles you use to put the pizza in and out of the oven. But they have these things called turning peels, which are sort of smaller and round, and they allow you to slide it under the, the pizza and then rotate it because the heat's on one end of the oven. I mean, it's in the whole thing, but the main fire's on the back end. So you want to kind of rotate it so that it kind of cooks evenly. So every 30 seconds or so, you just kind of rotate it around, and then you end up taking it out and and uh, moving it back on. That and then next thing, so- it's back up. If pizza is anything like pancakes, and we know it is, that uh, if if I if I was using one of these peels to try and get my pizza out of the oven, it would very soon be scrunched up against the far side of the uh, the oven. And if it's cooking at like nine thousand degrees, like you said, pretty soon I would have charcoal instead of pizza. So how tough is it to get your distressed pizza from the back of the pizza oven? So getting it out of the oven is actually quite simple. Getting it in the oven, though, can be a bit tricky. Uh, they, they call it launching. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you because uh, you have to slide it off of the peel. And the problem is, is that the, uh, the pizza, once you put the sauce and stuff in, starts to get moisture. It makes it sticky. It sticks to the peel. Our very first pizza did exactly what you were explaining. It, it stuck to the peel. It ended up folding half the ingredients burst into flames, you know, in the back and then you kind of shovel it out. So what you do is you kind of, you, you, you don't put it on the peel until the last minute. So you, you get it all stretched out. Then you put it on the peel. Then you put your toppings on. You also lightly cover the peel in, uh, uh, flour and like cornmeal, cornmeal. Exactly. And then, uh, I actually, when I put it in the oven, I kind of, it's almost like shooting pool. You know, I put it in and then sort of ratchet it back out. Just slide it right out. Yep. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, every so often an olive or a mushroom will go shooting off into the back. But once <laughs> once it starts puffing up and cooking, uh, then it's really easy to get under and move around. So, um, gotcha. I, I, I've seen, I've seen people, you know, doing this, obviously, you know, uh, in, in Italian uh, pizzerias um, and and right now these these pizza ovens are like huge. I mean, like people are like crazy about them. Um, I'm in the process of building. I use that term loosely. Me building uh, a an outdoor kitchen because mm. right, that's a thing in Florida, right? You build. It's basically it's a a glorified barbecue with a side burner with a, a, a refrigerator and a and a granite top so you can sit around it. You know, it's it's a bar and and outdoor kitchen barbecue thing. And Sounds like Bonacore could be on weekly for the food segment. <laughs> <laughs> I've become a foodie in my uh, in my older age and things. Um, so but but I have I, I, I did a basic we're, we're in the process of doing a basic outdoor kitchen, which is kind of those elements that I just mentioned. But a lot of people, a lot of people I've heard of are putting these pizza ovens out there. Yeah, Some yeah. of them are real elaborate. I mean, you're, you you talked about a kind of a, a basic thing. You said it's very sci-fi looking and kind of cool, but it's kind of basic and it does that one pie. But some of these things, you know, wood fired, they're made of adobe and, and they have like chimneys and all this kind oh, of stuff. Bricks so I, I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to go and, you know, do any of that. I'm going to start with what I'm doing and then Maybe I will graduate to having one of these pizza ovens because, like that, you have uh, purchased because I think they're great and I think you can really make some fun, interesting, healthy meals um, with pizza. 
Yeah, yeah. What's mm. what's now the company that I picked, Uni? Uh, they also have uh, wood fueled ovens as well. I wanted propane mostly for the simplicity. Now I think technically sure. a Neapolitan pizza can't be propane powered; it has to be wood. But so I like the consistent <sighs> heat that you can get from propane. So yeah, um, wood fire is obviously what like you know the really great pizza ovens do but uh yeah it's then you're into a whole maintenance thing so uh yeah. no i think it's a great idea that you just went with propane for now and you know who knows maybe if you're really getting into it you do something different exactly and what's funny though is that all right i want to get a pizza oven it's like okay i need to get a pizza oven get another propane tank no problem it's like oh you know we need to get the turning peels we need to get some more you know regular peels to launch it okay no problem oh you know what i need to create like a uh a little cart for it so I can roll it around. So I built that. And then it's like, oh, you know, it'd be really handy would be one of those uh, infrared thermometers to see how hot the pizza stone is. So, I mean, there just is always another thing. It's like, ooh, we were looking the other day at these stackable bowls that can hold the pizza dough until you're ready to roll it out, you know, for each individual thing. It's, it's crazy. Surprisingly, you constantly can build and buy more and more things for it. <laughs> it's amazing. And what brand was this that, that you got? Uni, O-O-N-I. O-O-N-I. Got it. And you're going to put a picture of it um, in the show notes so that folks can find it. Uh, It does. It looks like something from space. 1889 or whatever it is. So uh, it was about 350 bucks for the the oven itself. So not not outrageous at all. And, uh, And yeah, you're right. It's a lot of fun. We haven't gotten to the point where we're going to invite people over to have sort of like a pizza party, uh, but we've done it in our family three or four times, and it's been it's been a pretty good time. So, if anything sounds yes. interesting, I, I recommend checking it out. Yeah, and it's yes. like, and it takes like eight minutes to make the pizza, right? Once it's in there, isn't it something like that? I mean, obviously, it takes That's a while. One minute once it's in the oven, it's literally a minute. Oh, really? Boom! Yeah. Really? Wow! Minute or two? Yeah. You must like the thin crust. Well, no, I <laughs> yeah. mean, yeah. And, and they do, you can get like a um, uh, cast iron skillet to put in there. If there were, you know, something else, you know, you could sear the crap out of a steak if you needed to, or, uh, you know, bake breads and stuff. So there's there's not a whole lot you can do because, again, we're talking, you know, 900 degrees of, of heat. So, but yeah, you have some other kind of things you can play with. So whip up a lasagna in minutes. That's yeah. all I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sounds nice. great, man. Cool. So that's I'm coming over. All right. Well, if you're coming over, you'll need to bring something to drink. So, <laughs> oh, you're a professional, man. Look at that. Like great segue. That's called a segue right there. So, yes, um, so yeah. So what I'm going to talk about is something that I've I've mentioned many times um, in the past in various places, but we can go a little heavier and deeper now because we have a uh, you know extra time, and uh, that's about beer. Um, and, um, some people know this, not everybody. They, I, I have a certification in beer and that doesn't mean like I drink a lot. Well, yes, I might drink <laughs> a lot of beer, but I actually have a, um, it's called the, the beer judge certification program, bjcp.org. If you want to go check that out, I got into this in the, I don't know, mid nineties or something like that. Um, where the whole home brewing revolution was occurring and then the craft brewers were, you know, the home brewers becoming professional brewers and the entire thing has just spiraled and spiraled and continuously climbed ever since. But back then it was a much smaller community and home brewers were doing like all the 
most interesting things as the as they took it professional later. Um, and I got my certification, and it's it's not an insignificant test. You have to you have to have your knowledge of of beer history is got to be extreme, and of course you have to have a palate that. Uh, will enable you then to take those skills and then judge beers in a competition. So I did that for several years and I became, I went up to being a certified judge. You start recognized and you become a certified beer judge. Uh, and I've, oh, it's, it's my first love. I do right now as, as uh, at least Eric can see, I'm drinking a glass of wine right now. Um, I, I, I have a love for a couple of other uh, adult beverages as well, but beer is going to always be my uh, my first love, and it's the one that I'm truly a subject matter expert on due to the education that I that I put myself through to get to the point that I did. Nice. Um, and the great thing about beer, and I and I've, I I've even given like classes on on beer, mm. um, and and talked about essentially you talk about beer as it's it's a fermented beverage but it's a fermented grain, right? That's sort of how you define beer. So even like sake, right? The Japanese, they call it rice. Mm -hmm. Wine is really technically a beer because you're fermenting rice. Um, And then anything with fruit in it would be in the wine family, right? Mostly it's grapes for wine, but you can be apples and things like that. So that technically that's all in a wine family. So I've given these classes where I go through the entire um, a hierarchy of beers and the, the, the beer being at the top. And then it's lagers and ales. Ale is a word that means old. Uh, and old in this case means that it was the original way that beer was fermented with a certain type of yeast that was able to work at warmer temperatures because there was no refrigeration when beer was created, by the way. We're going to talk about how long ago beer was created. I'll ask you if you know that. And then lager is a new thing, literally only the last couple of hundred years, where um, you, when you ferment it, you ferment it at a cooler temperature, and then you store it and lager it to to smoothen out all the edges and more mm. of the uh, the proteins and things like that fall out of suspension and makes a very clear, very smooth beer. So I've given these classes about um, beer, and I talk about wine. Um, and with beer, there is literally a hundred different styles of beer that you can make classic ones, new ones, IPAs. Of course, you've heard of this term IPA and it's like the biggest thing right now. All the craft brewers are making IPAs and they, they go crazy with that thing. They make them very bitter. And then you have wines and wines are, uh, you know, using grapes and, and these grapes have to come to make great wine from very specific regions of the world. So, and of course, to make it fresh, you're going to make the wine there. Not only going to harvest the grape, you're going to make it there. So if you don't have the perfect climate, which happens to be in Napa Valley, (laughs) California, and Burgundy, France, that region across, and if you'll notice, they're about the same um, uh, latitude. If you don't have that perfect temperature and water and all that, you literally cannot make great wine. On the other hand, as long as you get good ingredients and ingredients for beer can travel 
much more easily. You can harvest some grain in Nebraska and you can make it in Florida if you'd like. Of course, there's many breweries in Florida. Um, and you can make great beer. So I postulate to people that I, when I talk to about beer and wine, I say beer is a, is a craft. It's, it's an art. It is, it is whatever the brewer wants to do using malted wheat, malted barley, mostly hops, yeast, water. That's it. And then they can add more stuff, but it's a craft to bring those things together to make this incredible beverage with wine. It's an act of God. <laughs> you put it in the bat and you oh, whatever hope. you'd like to say, whatever you'd like to say, meaning got, you know, Gaia, whatever you yep. want to call it. Um, <clears throat> the region where those grapes are made, you are not going to get you. You cannot make a great wine from New Jersey grapes. There are no grapes in Florida. <laughs> it's just, you know, impossible to grow a grape in Florida. So, so you see the the, the difference there. You, obviously, the, the vintner is uh, is doing lots of different things, you know, when he's making it. But all of those ingredients, and they just go right from the vines. They go right into the um, uh, into the winery, and they process it, and they make the wines right there across that latitude across the world. And uh, and you're also that's a- why beers are wonderful. Yeah, and you're also at risk of just how well the crops are that year. That's why you get different good years for wines. A hundred percent correct. Um, you uh, right now, California is having a huge problem with the with the fires, and um, there are many wineries that basically are not going to produce a, a twenty twenty wine. Hmm. Not just the grapes were saturated with ash. Uh, which will make an interesting flavor, yeah. but it's not necessarily a good one. And therefore, they're simply- It'll be a delightful toss- vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to toss them all. They're going to toss them out or who knows? Yeah. Maybe they feed livestock with them, but they're not going to make wine with any grapes grown in 2020 in certain parts of the Sonoma and Napa area due to all those wildfires, which is really sad, of course, for the uh, for those uh, those growers- but that is that is the way it works. So I've got two hmm. a question and a comment. I guess the the comment is <clears throat> so here in Tulsa uh, it hasn't done it since COVID, but I'm sure it'll come back. We've had an annual hops jam, which is actually cool. kind of triggered by the band Hanson. The Hanson brothers are from here, and they have their own brewery here. You know the the craft brewery, and so it's this big sort of. Uh, you know, festival weekend where they, there's concerts and pe- all these people show off their craft beers and whatnot. And uh, in fact, they gave away a uh, hops shaped guitar at one of them that was designed and carved out in the Fab Lab that I go to. So anyway, give you another excuse to come down to Oklahoma sometime and we'll uh, we'll treat you right. You need all the excuses you can get. <laughs> well, apparently me uh, living here maybe. isn't enough of an excuse to get people to visit me. So I got to come up with other oh, things. <laughs> me- Maybe you can invite me. To, maybe I, I can become the very special guest of honor at some local convention there or something like that. Yeah, we don't. By have the way, local I'm plugging. Yet. I'm so. I'm, <laughs> you don't have any there. I'm actually going to be a very special guest of honor at Great Plains Game Festival in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, nice. next week, which is kind of cool. Starting well, that next is Wednesday. Cool there. We have Ocon, yeah. which is in Oklahoma City, um, but uh, nothing. It in used Tulsa to be a yet. Tulsa convention. 
Huh. Used to be quite I'm a few. I'm surprised. Right? I mean, Tulsa is a pretty big city. You, there's a million no, people. nothing, not, not even like how many million people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's easily enough to support a, you know, a, a decent sized convention, a 500 person convention oh, or more. They're back in the eighties. There were like four Multiple. or five great conventions. Yeah. We had some great yeah. ones. But, I think uh, nobody wants to do it. <laughs> no one has stepped up to, yeah, the point to actually deal, say, with, deal with the hassle. <laughs> Those Eric, geeks have aged out. Yeah, Eric Dewey, you need to do this. You need to make it happen. You owe it to the gaming community of Tulsa, Oklahoma, to start a great convention. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> I can see it in his voice. I like it. No, I was like, I want, I want to be right, the so, guy. So, that Stephen, helps. I got a question. It's IPA is trash or treasure? Well, treasure, and and it's a funny thing. I'm, I would. Um, I would almost say that about every style of beer. And in fact, I will say it literally about every style of beer. Um, I, I, I have a particular love for IPAs. But if, even if you said American premium lager, which is another word for like Budweiser and all of its clones, there's a, there's a reason to make it. I don't have to drink it, but there's a reason to make it. It's because there's a segment of the population that doesn't want flavor in there beer so they gotta have lawnmower beers so that so, in oklahoma in the middle of july you can go out uh you know drink something that's not going to cause you to uh, cut off your own toes with the lawnmower true. and not over overweigh yourself so the three two beer is still useful they, and it's, they, it's lightly refreshing they do make uh, um, now hang on a second <laughs> we, I was uh, say, we, they do we make passed a law we don't have 3.2 beer anymore <laughs> oh that's not a thing we anymore? passed a law we don't have 3.2 beer anymore you can get Full, oh, full even at the uh, gas stations, you can get real beer. Yeah, in and we have refrigerators in our liquor stores now too. Wait, 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 wow. wait, wait! I'm, 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 I'm not getting something. Did you say you never had craft beer? You only had up to three point two at some point. No, like in uh, the gas stations, you could only get stuff. above three two in liquor stores. Yeah, you'd have to go to a liquor store to get anything crafty. Okay, okay, just go. It's to not a big store. deal, but. But back to the back to the point. The point is that Donald, there are flavorful beers, uh, especially in the like the wheat beers, and um, there are what things called session IPAs that 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 bring the alcohol down to a reasonable that that can be a lawnmower beer, um, but still have flavor. Um, I I try not to badmouth the mainstream beers because again, there's a market. How many people do you know? Um, this is this is a outside the box. Version. How many people do you know? that will eat anything, eat, you know, any kind of food. They, 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 they're foodies really. And they'll just like, you know, they, they're not going to go to McDonald's, but they'll eat every kind of protein and, and every type of seafood and everything. Right. I mean, not that, you know, not that many. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> um, so with beer, it's not dissimilar to that. If you think about it, Meaning, beer is food. You gotta think of it like that. It's a food, right? It does. It, it has a, a significant caloric content, so you have to treat it that way. And of course, it has alcohol in it, so it's an adult food. And it has various flavor profiles. So, somebody who hates IPAs because they are more of the aggressive uh, flavored beers, they're more bitter, more floral, more grassy, uh, more malty. They've got, they're like everything about a beer on steroids, you can kind of <laughs> say. There is there is that person who will drink that, and 
and these days a significant number because IPAs are very big. But then you can go over and you can find beers for people who are less, you know, inclined to go for something so aggressive. The gotcha. wheat beers, I always bring wheat beers up as a, a great stepping stone for somebody who who wants something really light and refreshing on a lawnmower or while watching their football game, you have a wheat beer. Now, the flavor profile is quite different, but it has all of those refreshing elements to it. So it's a great thing to drink at a barbecue at a hot Florida or Oklahoma or <laughs> South Carolina. Is that right? Yep. Uh, you know, summer day, North Carolina. So it's there's, there is a beer for everybody, I guess, is sort of the point. Uh, and IPAs, I happen to love them. Um, but I would say that for almost every style that you threw out. That sounds cool. Mm. All right. Well, in the, in the actual spirit of, uh, of the fortnightly, you need to talk to us about one beer that you are super excited about now, whether it's, you know, the watermelon wheat or, you know, uh, whatever it is that you're really into right this second, you can pick a couple, um, but well, to tell our listeners something that, Hey, this is, spectacular and different and exciting. Well, what, what I guess what I would point to here is um, uh, a style that's now coming in, in and of itself. It's, 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 it's kind of gone from like only being done in the Northeast and like literally they created this style in Vermont and now I've Ooh, maple beer. Here. I'm in. No, it's <laughs> oh. not maple beer. Uh, it was used to be called, and it still is called a new England style IPA. Uh, very, very um, grassy because it uses like hops like crazy. So hops impart all of these wild flavors because the hops are the biggest variation that you put in beer. So they could they, they add bitterness, they add aroma, and they add all of these flavor profiles in there. So they put all of this, all of these different hops in there at different times of the boil when you're making the beer, and it makes this beer that is. Extremely hoppy, but not necessarily bitter, though it can be, and hazy, and hazy. So they don't uh, drag out the particulates of the beer. They prize them, which gives it a bigger body, bigger mouthfeel, probably more calories. Um, so the hazy IPAs, New England-style IPAs, are a really big thing right now, and you're seeing hazy IPAs being brewed across the country. So if anybody who's been dying to get like a a heady topper from Vermont. That's arguably people have argued that it's like the single best beer ever brewed. There's no such thing, right? There's, it can't be the single best thing when, right? Is there a single best game really? No, there's a best game for Eric and there's a best game for Donald. There's a best game for Steven, but there's no best game. So there's no best beer. Everybody likes different things. So with this thing called heady topper, which is brewed in Vermont, People couldn't get it, and literally, unless they went to the brewery or within like a couple of miles, where a few like grocery stores could get some. Now people are making a similar thing across the com- country. So please, anybody out there interested in beers, wants to be a little more aggressive, look for a hazy IPA, and one that is easily you can easily find is a Sierra Nevada hazy IPA. It has a name, and I can't remember its name, but it says hazy IPA on it. It's- it might be just called Sierra Nevada Hazy IPA, but uh, check that out. Um, it, you'll, it'll change your life if, um, if you want to get into IPAs, into this New England style IPA. I, I know that this is going to surprise you, but I'm, I'm more of a fan of sours than bitters. 
Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know how long you want me to talk because we still have you to talk, but <laughs> sours are now like the biggest, biggest thing out there. I didn't want to get too deeply on that topic, but sours have become like the new IPA. IPA is like constantly being done and done and done. Every brewery is making three different types of IPA. And now sours all of a sudden are the big thing. And sours I find to be a harder sell for many people because the profile of sour doesn't come up a lot. The flavor profile doesn't come a lot in a lot of foods. Um, But people who like it just love it. I like it when used correctly. And um, it is like technically like the biggest thing going on right now in the craft brew industry, the, the sour beer. So there you go, Donald. You're on a, you're on a bleeding edge, man. Nice. That's nice to be bleeding on the edge. All right. Um, <laughs> Tell us what you're into these days, Donald. Well, okay. So I got a question. Do we want to go with a uh, book, an author that I've been just excited about, or do we want to go uh, crafty with crafting I've been doing? Hmm. I'm it's, I'm good with anything. It's up to you, man. As long, as long as the book is like sci-fi, right. like <laughs> well, okay. So this fantasy. is not not a new author. Okay. Um, but uh, I've only actually read now two of his books, and it's uh, Werner Vinge. Rhymes with Benji. All right. Uh, and so it is a science fiction uh, stories that I've read, and uh, it is super epic in scale and it's his zones of thought series. So the ones that I have just finished was fire upon the deep. And I previously read the sequel to it, a deepness in the sky. And having now read fire, a fire upon the deep, I know why I was so confused <laughs> when, <laughs> so when I did quick, read it. Deep. When you yes. read the second one first, did you know you're reading the second one? Um, the second in a series. Well, I'm not certain if I do. It was it was a year or two back that I'd read it. I just um, finished reading a book that was like the, the climax of a series, and nowhere on the cover oh, did it mention that. And so it was interesting enough, and I, and I enjoyed it. But I was like, I don't understand half of what's going on here. <laughs> I wow. think when I when I bought it, I didn't. It was one of those, oh, um, it's on sale, and it looks cool, so I'm going to get it. And I had just read um, some uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky books that were pretty amazing. And uh, Giles and I talked about uh, one of those on a previous uh, Inverse Genius episode. Uh, But A Fire Upon the Deep is particularly odd because it's a galactic scale book about uh, rules are imposed on different zones of the galaxy. And uh, it's the Zones of Thought series is kind of uh, how it's done. It's like, this is the, the high area and then there are different levels of technology that will sort of work in different areas and for some reason those shift back and forth and they talk about like ultra high level intelligent races or entities who come from the super high levels who occasionally make transgressions down into these other areas and you know as you need in any good exciting space epic something goes wrong really early in the book and they have to sort of spin down from the ultra high tech, uh, everything that's going on to uh, investigate the different zones of thought that are occurring in the book. And the second one, Deepness in the Sky, seems to take place uh, with a, a significant time after the first book, Fire Upon the Deep. And it is really more an exploration of a completely alien race that happens at a super unusual star 
structure that is set up and how it has affected that whole society and how these people who have dealt with the aftermath of the first book uh, deal with trying to meet the the folks and you know the the aliens of the second of the second book and it is just interesting and having read now them both once um, I'm going to read the second one again and then I'll read the third one after that uh, and then I'll probably go back and start the trilogy over because there are a lot of concepts that are super interesting and I keep wanting to turn it into a role-playing game but uh, <laughs> a that's a different podcast and b that is never going to happen because it would be very discordant kind of thing I think you know, you'd have to use all the GURPS books <laughs> so the GURPS go going old school no so technically they're still around <laughs> yes I th- <laughs> so what that's is interesting anyways, that's very yes. cool so what is it particularly that um, you like about this series well, none of the alien races are uh, humans with turtles glued to their foreheads. Right. They are all particularly unique and unusual, even though they obviously use a, a frame that we would recognize and say, oh, these are kind of wolf-like. And then he continues to describe them. You go, these are not wolf-like. But <laughs> I understand more of what the person who saw them was seeing when they were explaining them or whatever. Right. Um, and just the, the technologies are interesting and sort of how they deal with this, uh, just the horrid chaos of all the change that is happening to all the zones of thought, uh, you know, whether it's in the beyond or et cetera, et cetera. And so it's just cool. It reads well. The characters are interesting. Uh, the, the potential damage that it does to the whole universe is exciting. And, you know, there are a couple of times you go, you character are usually so smart. Why is your particular frame of reference blinding you so much to these issues? And, and they deal with all that kind of, you know, pretty exciting. I say they, I mean, he, Werner Vinci does that. So check out his zones of thought series, fire upon the deep and a deepness in the sky. I listened to the audiobooks, so I couldn't take notes in the margins like I would normally do. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it is it is pretty exciting and awfully fun. If I can pitch um, an audiobook that I series that I recently read and been over a Please. year now, but um, uh, the Boboverse series, have you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have several of them. I haven't read them yet. Uh, there's well, there's three. I heard I heard he wrote a fourth one too, um, but I I mm-hmm. didn't find it yet. But I I can't speak more highly about it. Um, it, it kind of like uses real, you know, projected science um, takes place a little bit in the future. And I, I just love the way the whole thing plays out. It's about an artificial intelligence that's named Bob and Bob goes out into the universe, into the galaxy and encounters all kinds of things that uh, may not be as benevolent as, you know, <laughs> as the Vulcans are, for instance, uh, right. so it just it just work it, it it just works so well on so many levels. It's both humorous with some really good science in it, and and the guy who reads it in, in the audiobooks is so believable and so good. I uh, highly recommend. Oh. I, I don't even remember the author's name, and I apologize. Dennis Taylor, Dennis E. Taylor is the author, and Ray Porter. Uh, who has done some of the Scott Sigler books that I've listened to. He's, he's a very powerful narrator. Ah, really, so. good. really, really good. So Bobo verse three books. I got to 
I heard there's a fourth one too. So yeah, the last one just came out at the last quarter of last year, I think. Cool. Um, All right. I got homework. It's, it's, it's good. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I mean, I hope it's good because I own three of them and I, I haven't played the last one. The narrator for uh, Werner Vinges was Peter Larkin. And I thought he did a particularly good job because oh, one of the amusing things is they have sort of like internet use groups on a galactic scale and he will drop all characters and read it in a rather computery voice of, of these different people arguing with each other or, or whatever. And it seems partic- particularly relevant to the last few years of our lives of people yep. yelling at each other on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right. Um, there we go. That's pretty exciting. I think we've got some interesting things that we've talked about. His, did we want to do a group um, thing that we've all watched or do we want to call this Eric? Yeah, if, if we can come up real quickly with something that we've all seen. Have you all watched Leverage, the TV show? show? No. TV show? Oh. oh, I have actually met, all right, well, it, uh, um, the hitter. What's his name? I can't think of his name now. Elliot. El- well, yeah, but I mean the, the actor, Christian Kane. Um, I don't know. His mother goes to our church, and he held the door for us one Christmas. It was funny because we had been nice. watching Leverage, <laughs> and uh, we had gotten like the DVDs from Netflix or something. And as we were leaving the Christmas Eve service, you know, he just happened to hold the door open for us, and, and I was like doing a double take, and I couldn't quite figure out why this guy looked so familiar <laughs> until like five steps later. <laughs> Did you go ask him who he was trying to scam? Or- it was, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Leverage. Leverage is a great show. They just came out with a new season. Like there's five seasons of it previously. Really? What's so, it on? So the, uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, it's, Amazon? it's free with commercials um, on Amazon Prime. IMDb. Yeah, IMDb TV. As well. Cool. Yeah, the so, problem is, have you watched the new series, Eric? Not yet. I wanted to rewatch the some of the first two episodes are great. And then the other ones are horrible. I still love them, but they are objectively bad. Interesting. But I still liked them. Yeah, so the concept behind Leverage is that every episode is a heist. Like there's a group, there's the hacker, the hitter, the con person, the you know, whatnot. And they're all doing heists, but it's to right some sort of wrong. And like the first three or four episodes of the first season are almost like by the book heists. And then as the characters kind of get to get, you get to know them a little bit better, then the, the heists and kind of touch some of their personalities. But, um, you know, the they're first all one's a Shadowrun episode. And yeah. this is Leverage. Leverage, yep. Leverage, Le- yeah. I will check that out. Sounds good. Say again? Did you ever watch The Librarians on TNT? No, my God. Okay. You guys have got some good ones here. No, the we just have a lot of was, them. Yeah, The Librarians is the same uh, same producer as Leverage. And the idea is that there's the library hosts, you know, it's the warehouse from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It hosts all the things, right? And then the librarians are in charge of making sure that the things don't mess up the real world. And so they go around dealing with that kind of stuff. And it was like two or three movies originally and then became a series. (laughs) So, uh, hey, all of our listeners, thank you for listening to us on this amazing episode of the Inverse Genius Fortnightly. I'm thrilled to say, hey, Stephen Bonacore, you've got a lot to talk about. Thank you for joining us and come back again soon. I can't wait to be back again on either or all of your shows. All, excellent. Well, we probably won't have you on the library show, but that's a different issue entirely. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. All right. And uh, hey, Eric, thank hey. you for putting this together. Not a problem. It'll be fun to edit. It means a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes uh, anyway um yeah so hey everybody head on over to the inverse and check out all of our other fine shows find us over at the facebook 
at the Inverse Genius Group, where we talk about all these things and more. And of course, go check out our other beautiful, beautiful co-hosts and guests and all that stuff. I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Eric Dewey. And I'm the pod father of gaming, Stephen Bonacor. And you've been listening to <laughs> Inverse Genius Fortnightly. <laughs> and we're stopping. <laughs> I have no buttons I can click over here. I would have clicked a long time ago. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. Thank you.